This is the Read Your Bible Podcast, the daily podcast designed to help you understand and apply the scriptures. Nothing will grow your relationship with Jesus Christ more than studying the Bible for yourself. I'm your host, Drew Tankersley, and for the next few moments, I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word together. We'll ask God to help us see what He wants us to see so that we can be who He wants us to be. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you came face to face with the fact that God's plans were infinitely bigger than you at first imagined? Oftentimes we like to think that we have a grasp on what God might be doing in a given situation. But when we look back at the course of history, we come to realize that the plans of God are often far more extensive than our ability to comprehend. With a God that exhibits so much forethought and so much power to accomplish his plans that are infinitely larger than we could comprehend, we have to ask ourselves, why then do we struggle so much to trust him? Well, this is a question that I had to ask myself today as I studied Zechariah chapter 2. Let's dive in together. Verse 4 reads, He said to him, Run and tell this young man, Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls because of the number of people and animals in it. The declaration of the Lord, I myself will be a wall of fire around it, and I will be the glory within it. Listen, listen, flee from the land of the north. This is the Lord's declaration, for I have scattered you like the four winds of heaven. Again, this is the Lord's declaration. Listen, Zion, escape. You who are living with daughter Babylon, for the Lord of armies says this, In pursuit of his glory, he sent me against the nations plundering you. For whoever touches you touches the pupil of my eye. For look, I am raising my hand against them, and they will become plunder for their own servants. Then you will know that the Lord of armies has sent me. Daughter Zion, shout for joy and be glad, for I am coming to dwell among you. This is the Lord's declaration. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord on that day and become my people. I will dwell among you, and you will know that the Lord of armies has sent me to you. The Lord will take possession of Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and he will once again choose Jerusalem. Let all humanity be silent before the Lord, for from his holy dwelling he has roused himself. This vision is the third that Zechariah has had since his ministry to Judah began. After being in captivity in Babylon for 70 years, the people of Judah have now returned to the land of Jerusalem. And at the end of those 70 years, King Cyrus sent them back to their land to rebuild the temple, their society, and the city's walls. This decision was made according to Jeremiah's prophecy long before it happened. The king was put in place for this purpose according to the prophecy of Isaiah close to 200 years beforehand. All of this God had been orchestrating from the beginning. And we know that because we studied the life and ministry of the prophet Daniel, God had given Daniel a prophetic timeline, if you will, of what would occur and how God would set up kings and tear them down to accomplish his purposes in dealing with Judah. 
He raised up King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon to punish Judah for their brazen rebellion against him, their idolatry, and their rejection of his covenant. And then God raised up Cyrus to return them back to the land after that punishment. And if this wasn't enough, God told them what he would do, what would happen before it happened to prove to them that he was in charge of this timeline. He did this repeatedly during this season of Judah's history. And after the miraculous return and the generosity of King Cyrus, the people had begun to build. With great joy and zeal, they started the project only to encounter discouragement from within the ranks when the size and scope of the new temple grieved the people who remembered the old one. They also faced opposition from outside Outsiders who at first wanted to help but were rightly rejected because of their syncretic worship of other gods. All of this caused the funding from Medo-Persia to stop and the people's attention began to drift to their own houses and their own kingdoms. The temple work sat silent for 17 years until Haggai and Zechariah began to preach to the people about the great promise of the king that was coming to reign, making this house infinitely more glorious than the first. And if you read Ezekiel carefully, it's almost as if God's intent is for the people to return to him, and he would return to them in glory and power, creating a new Jerusalem where God would reign forever with his people. But that, like the first covenant, was conditioned on their genuine return to him. You see, they had been scattered everywhere. Their hearts were scattered spiritually as well. But now, as the angel came to mark out the city, God implores the people to return to the land, to come back from the land of the north, that was Babylon. Apparently, the people's response to the call to return to Jerusalem from Cyrus was lackluster at best. The people had gotten comfortable there in their captivity. They had settled down, and the thought of rebuilding their lives was fraught with peril and uncertainty. They'd rather live in chains in comfort than pursue their destiny with uncertainty. This lackadaisical attitude was why Daniel fasted and prayed in chapter 10, asking that God would send them back, and it's now why God is appealing to the people to return to him. The promise was that he would come and live with them if they returned, and yet they were content to live as captives in a foreign land. He tells them to escape the land of Babylon, which by this time had already fallen to the Medo-Persian Empire. And God was coming to destroy those nations that had scattered Judah. They had touched the pupil of his eye, namely his people, and now they were about to be ravaged as they had desolated God's holy city, Jerusalem. And God is telling these Jews to get out before his judgment comes. But while God wanted to be with his people, the thought of a new Jerusalem would have to wait because his people would not return to him. In that new Jerusalem, God will include many nations unto himself. We learn this at the end of the chapter. Now, this Gentile inclusion was a part of God's plan all along because he knew the Jews would not return to him. 
We were the beggars and the miscreants of Luke 14, which Jesus compels to come from the highways and hedges to the banquet of the king, precisely because those whom he had invited, namely the Jews, wouldn't come. God promises here in Zechariah, shout for joy and be glad for I am coming to dwell with you. How much more could God say to these people? He was literally coming to them if they would only return to him. This new Jerusalem that God will create will be without walls as spoken of at the beginning of the chapter. And it will indeed descend at the end of time for his people from every nation, tribe, language, and people. They will indeed come and he will indeed dwell with them. His glory will be in their midst. The last phrase here says that the Lord roused himself. Now this, this is significant because the prophet Isaiah calls Cyrus the Lord's servant and that God rouses him as an instrument as part of God's plan. And then the Bible says that the Lord roused the spirit of Zerubbabel in Haggai chapter 1 verse 14. He too would become God's servant, see Haggai 2.23, and be in the royal line of David, the one through whom the Messiah would come. Then in Philippians 2, Paul describes Jesus as God, but who condescended to take up on himself the form of the servant and die for the sins of humanity. Notice the Father's work here to accomplish his plan. Cyrus, his servant, sends the people back. Zerubbabel, his servant, rebuilds the temple after the mouth of two witnesses, Haggai and Zechariah. Then the Lord rouses himself, that is, Jesus, to come and be the high priest of God who would become the sacrifice, coming to atone for the sins of his people. Now the word rouse means to wake up in Acts 2. Peter says that God raised Jesus, woke him up, if you will, from the dead. The similarities here are striking. These forerunners, Cyrus the king who liberates God's people, Zerubbabel, the one from royal bloodlines who regathers and rebuilds God's people, they are all forerunners to the one who would come as king to liberate and serve as priest before God and regather his people. In Matthew 23, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem, saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you, desolate. The new Jerusalem that is to come will not be desolate because it will be filled with those from every tribe, nation, language, and people who have turned to this God for their help and their salvation. And one day soon, he will return. And on that day, we will all gather from the four winds of the earth. And so will we ever be with the Lord. Now, there's so much for us to consider here in these verses. The first thing is that the comfort that we feel from the captivity to sin is often a tragic forfeiture of our destiny. So often, we are more comfortable in our sinful rebellion than we are pursuing the uncertain future of God by faith. We would rather walk by sight, knowing that it is living beneath our privilege in a foreign land, 
then pursue what we were destined to become by faith. We crave comfort way too much. We are easily pleased with sameness when God offers us life abundantly. We doubt God's care of us. We doubt his provision. We doubt his plans. We doubt. But God calls us to a life of simple faith and trust in a God who is infinitely more extensive and more significant than we could imagine. Indeed, our addiction to comfort causes us to live far beneath what God means for us to experience. God is over there. God is out there in the unknown. He waits for us in the Jerusalem of uncertainty while we languish in the captivity of Babylon. God waits to meet us in the unknown. Faith is where we find God. Sight is where we are in control. And even though it may mean living less than God desires for us, we can control our lives in Babylon. At least we have the illusion that we do. But God waits for us in Jerusalem. Oh, to live by faith and find the God of the impossible waiting for us in the unknown. God will defend, secondly, those who return to him when we walk in repentance for our sinful ways. When we return from our captivity, though our enemies may assail us, we need to realize the visceral reaction of a holy God against those who would touch one of his little ones. Sure, God's people may suffer persecution. They may even be martyrdom for saints of God at times, but it will not be without retribution. This God of justice will protect and defend his people. He will be the wall of fire around them and the glory within them. So why should we fear when the Lord of armies stands at our side to protect us from the enemy's attacks? Number three, God's kingdom is more extensive than our concept of it. The Jews thought that they were unique and entitled but God's plans for his kingdom were infinitely bigger than their construct of it. They thought that they had the corner on doing things right, but the Jews had no notion of the nations that would come to the God that they had forfeited in their selfishness. They had traded God in their idolatry for their selfish conceptions of him. Their idols had obstructed their view of a holy God whose kingdom was far greater than their traditional constructs of him. And we often put God in our own idolatrous box as well, don't we? Thinking that our way is best and that we can only operate in ways that we understand. But still, we need to remember that the nations coming to God was far beyond the construct of the Jewish religion and our perceptions of God's will and his kingdom far exceed our own conceptions of it as well. God does not, nor will he, ever live in our box. Number four, the cross of Jesus and his finished work ultimately redeem all those who come to God through him. These forerunners all point to a perfect Savior whose perfect work on the cross perfectly saves all those who come to him. We should be drawn in worship to the final fulfillment of God's plan for centuries. What a God who restores his people through the servanthood of the Savior. 
Following Jesus means that we too should emulate all the same servant attitudes, willing to surrender whatever rights we may think we have for the Father's kingdom work in the world. Whatever sacrifice we may offer up to God pales in comparison to the work of Jesus on the cross, the ultimate servant for us to accomplish the Father's will. His paramount service to God's plan that culminated in his death should inspire us to live and die as he did for the good of the kingdom. So Jesus, thank you for your cross. We worship you for how you served your father's objectives, for your condescension to us. Heavenly Father, we are amazed at your forethought, at your wisdom and your power. We worship you for the plan that included us long before anyone could conceive of it. Forgive us for the idols that we create in our consumer culture that often compete with the allegiance belonging only to you. And may we realize that your kingdom is infinitely worth more than we might understand at this present moment. Help us to get out of the Babylon of our own comfort and meet you in the wild and uncertain pathways of faith as we pursue our destiny in your kingdom. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Join us again tomorrow as together we help you learn to read your Bible.